0: Hello and welcome to this NC Talks podcast from NeuroCentral. I'm Lauren Pulling, publisher of NeuroCentral, and today I'm at the Alzheimer's Research UK conference in London. For this episode of NC Talks, I'm delighted to be joined by Tara Spires-Jones, a Professor of Neurodegeneration at the University of Edinburgh in the UK, who is Deputy Director of the Centre of Discovery Brain Sciences and Programme Lead at the Edinburgh Centre of the UK Dementia Research Institute. Tara is also Chair of the ARUK Grant Review Board and is active in science communications and outreach, making her a very busy person. I spoke to Tara to learn more about the research her group is presenting at the conference, challenges and highlights in dementia research and the importance of mentoring in science. Can you tell us about the research that you're presenting here at the ARUK conference? Yes, my group has presented several things at the conference.
1: I gave a talk about the role of ApoE and Clusterin and how they might be acting together to damage synapses in Alzheimer's disease. That study was a bit of a surprise because we didn't know what was going to come out of it. It was an unbiased proteomic screen. So Raphael Hesse and Rosie Jackson, two great lab members, took samples from human postmortem brains, from the temporal lobe and the occipital lobe, and they made synapse neurosome preps and sent them off for proteomics in collaboration with Tom Wishart and Dougie Lamont in Dundee and Edinburgh. And what we found was that there were massive changes in the synapses of Alzheimer's cases compared to control cases, and that there were more changes in people who had a copy of ApoE4 than in people who had E3. So we were looking at the role of ApoE and disease in synapse degeneration. And we've done some pretty intense bioinformatics, and we're starting to get some ideas of the pathways change. Some of those are really fascinating, like changes in LTP, glutamatergic signaling, changes in uh, protein homeostasis pathways. But the one that I sort of cherry picked out before we had finished up with the bioinformatics was that clusterin was altered in Alzheimer's disease and altered further in people with an ApoE4 and Alzheimer's disease. We were interested in that because clostrin is a risk factor. There are polymorphisms that increase your risk for Alzheimer's disease, much like ApoE4 increases your risk. So we were fascinated by the idea that these two risk factors could be acting together at the synapse. So that was one presentation. We also had a poster from a PhD student who is looking at the Lothian birth cohort, which is a fantastic aging cohort. And he was looking at regional variability in the brain. He showed some differences in the coverage of and in particular microglia in the hippocampus compared to other brain regions and a healthy aging brain. It was also only 10 cases in this study because we were waiting for this cohort to come in, but some quite interesting uh, little things are popping up that might turn out to be significant later on. One that shouldn't be too much of a surprise is that the person who had a copy of ApoE4 had more pathology Mm. than the people who didn't. But yeah, that's a great study that we'll be following up on for a few years. We have also a poster here by Dr. Chris Henstrich, studying also ALS, which is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and testing the hypothesis that. Much like in Alzheimer's disease, synapse degeneration may be contributing to cognitive decline in ALS. And he sees in collaboration with Sharon Abrahams, who does cognitive testing, that people who had cognitive impairments, in addition to their motor disease, did indeed have synapse loss in the frontal cortex, which was specifically in those cases with cognitive impairment. So that's, it. that's all we've been presenting this yeah, week. busy conference <laughs> with you guys.
0: Yeah. So there's been discussion at the conference as well as elsewhere as to uh, where we should be targeting dementia therapy. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned their synapse degeneration. Do you think that this could be a viable target for Alzheimer's therapy?
1: I think so. I think there's a couple of ways that targeting the synapse could be helpful for patients. One is if we could stop the degeneration or the toxic insult that's killing the synapses, I think that would be very helpful. Mm-hmm. We could probably then, your brain is pretty remarkable, it could make new synapses and make new circuits so you could make up a little bit of the function that was already lost. Something I think is even more promising from a therapeutic perspective is the idea that if we can stop toxic proteins like tau from jumping from the presynaptic terminal to the postsynaptic terminal and thus spreading through the brain circuits, we have the potential to stop the disease in its tracks. And we have a lot of evidence that tau jumps via pre- and postsynapses. We have a little bit of evidence that alpha-synuclein does that in DLB as well in collaboration with Alberto Leo. So this could be a, a really important point to intervene
0: so looking at disease models in the lab, many dementia disease models are often in mice. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the challenges of this and do you think that the dementia research needs a more standardised um, disease model for Alzheimer's?
1: It's a good question. So we talk about this a lot. I don't think we need standardised models because I think every scientific question needs to use the best model for that particular mm-hmm. question. Our mouse models aren't perfect, but they do model some aspects of the disease very, very well, and they're one of the only ways that we can get an intact brain system and see the effects of these changes on on an intact neural circuitry. Mm -hmm. So even though they are imperfect and mouse proteins and mouse circuits aren't the same as human, they're one of the tools in the arsenal that are still essential. One of these years hopefully we'll be able to move away from using vertebrates in our research but at the minute it's one of our strongest tools so we can't really abandon it. At the same time my lab also uses post-mortem human tissue and stem cell derived neurons is something we're increasingly trying to get involved with so that we can use multiple angles and be sure that what we're studying in the mice is well modeled from the actual human disease.
0: Interesting. And so, um, now looking at another side of things, Um, the last year has seen a number of successes and developments in the field, but also a few hits to neurodegenerative uh, research, not least Pfizer's announcement that they'd be cutting uh, their Alzheimer's programmes. What effect do you think this has had on the research community?
1: Well, that's also a good question. So it is disappointing when any of the partners that are fighting these diseases decides that they can no longer do it. we need all the help we can get, as academic labs we won't be able to translate our findings into drugs. However, there's still a lot of interest from pharma and the basic science side is still going strong. So I think as long as we can use, like we were just talking about, the appropriate models and make progress in a way that will be useful to pharma, I think that we should be able to maintain those partnerships and move things forward.
0: Definitely. And so you're also a programme leader, as you said, at the Edinburgh Centre of the UK DRI. Can you tell us what your priorities will be in this
1: new role? Yeah, so we have, the, the priorities in the UK DRI are really science focused and they're quite exciting. So Bart De Struper, who heads the DRI, was very clear that he wants to do really solid, groundbreaking, fundamental science in a collaborative way. Mm-hmm. So my program is focused on APOE, which is one of the things I talked about here, and more broadly on the non-neuronal contributors to this synapse loss. So looking at how microglia and astrocytes are impacting this neural circuit degeneration, because that's something that's been traditionally a bit understudied and so maybe there are avenues for that we could follow there that would be beneficial. Mm -hmm. So that's the scientific side. We're also quite keen in the UK DRI to foster collaborations both within the DRI, between the centres and also out with the DRI with other researchers. So that's one of our priorities and the final priority is the career development and capacity building for the next generation of dementia researchers and so bringing in bright and enthusiastic people to join the field from other fields or perhaps as they're coming in through their careers.
0: So as you mentioned there, um, you're very active in supporting early career researchers and mentoring and sort of the engagement side of science. What, what is the importance of mentorship in science?
1: You, you can't overstate the, the value of mentors in science. So we've instituted a prize in the FENS-Cavali Network of Excellence, which is another organization I'm involved with, where we specifically give a prize to a neuroscience mentor every other year at the FENS Forum. Because it's, it's crucial, you can't yeah. advance your career without someone teaching you the basics and also introducing you around and, and sort of just being a champion and a, and a mentor. So I think that's crucial for people. This is a fantastic job. I really think being a neuroscientist is the best job in the world, but it's not an easy one to get. So yeah. it's really helpful for early career researchers to help them understand the path to get to this kind of job, but also that we equally value there are all sorts of fantastic jobs. You were studying science, presumably, and now you're doing this fantastic and important work in engagement. So it's really important for us as academics to try and push our boundaries a little bit and show our trainees and the people around us that there are a lot of valuable things you can do with your education whether it be following in the academic footsteps joining pharmaceutical companies or biotech or branching out and trying to do the make these crucial links between science and society that we mm. really need if we're going to keep our funding and yeah, convince yeah. people that science is a worthwhile endeavor.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome.